as educators, there are so many things that we're accountable for in terms of curriculum and um, mandates and that sort of thing. But um, when you can appeal through the heart and the emotions um, to something that really ultimately does answer all of those um, other um, issues and, and things that we have to do as teachers um, and teaching the programs of study and um, um, but all of this answers that in such a big broad way that reaches beyond the parameters that we have in education. Hello and welcome to the Three Uniques podcast. I'm your host Brenda Rigby. I'm a business and leadership coach and entrepreneur. I'm a single mom of two teenagers and a purpose-led believer. My mission is to maximize the human potential by helping you unlock what's unique in all of us and design a big life that leaves you whole, grounded, and complete. Welcome to Three Uniques. Hi everyone, it's Brenda back again with another episode of Three Uniques. Today I have on Stephanie Bartlett. Hi Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm great, Brenda, thanks, how are you? I'm doing well. It's so great to have you on. So for our listeners, Stephanie is a PhD candidate at the University of Calgary, and your area focuses around educational research. You're also an instructor for undergraduates and graduate programs and an author. And there's more things that we're going to learn about Stephanie too, not just those like sort of three components, but wow, what a list, what a list. What, like, how did you get into the field of study that you're in? That's a, a great question, Brenda. So um, I think it probably started where I've been an educator for 23 years. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's the real vocation. I, I, love, um, I love teaching uh, kids and I love teaching teachers. And, um, and it's um, really joined together and integrated with a passion of mine for caring for the earth. And, uh, and I realized I've always... Um, I've always kind of led change of environmental environmental clubs and environmental sustainability in schools. And then that has morphed into um, a love for land and local place. And then um, that evolved into an incredible um, five going on six year long learning journey with a Blackfoot elder to understand indigenous ways of knowing and um, realizing how um, education for reconciliation is um, such a necessary thing and yet so hard sometimes to grasp or figure out exactly what to do. So I have this um, great idea um, and vision of, of how to really love our local place and how that can reimagine education. And you just spent the last few days applying what you love to do with 500 like students. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's just like, so our listeners really understand, well, what does that all mean? And how does that, you know, apply into sort of like everyday life? Or how could people utilize someone like yourself? So yeah, can you share us like a little bit about that experience that these kids went through? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm also define myself as a designer and a creative being. So part of this comes with, um, I have designed um, some school-wide year-long or years-long work for schools to understand what it means to learn on the land um, alongside Indigenous elders and knowledge keepers. And so um, this is my my research in action is these, it's a school, um, kindergarten to grade five school with um, population 
um, of about 500 children, largely non-Indigenous population, but quite a diverse um, population as well. And so um, this becomes about every student understanding for themselves what it means to, to be on the land. And so there's this beautiful coulee um, or valley in nearby the school. It's about a 20-minute walk away. Mm -hmm. And so all the classes have an opportunity to um, walk into the coulee and spend time in there. And then as a practice, we kind of have developed a land practice. And so this land practice means that the students are becoming really aware of their surroundings based on the Blackfoot concept of okakiosit, which means to notice deeply and be really aware. So students, as soon as they start that walk, they're paying attention and they're listening and then they can engage in conversation about signs of nature that they notice or cycles of the seasons. Mm -hmm. um, and and then for me, it's also about the doing and the saying. So what are what are children doing and saying that shows they're learning? Um, and so then there's a really practical piece. So they're not only on the land, but they're working closely with an artist um, to work with these elder teachings and land-based teachings and then represent land art um, almost as a gift back to uh, to the earth, um, just to show their love for the earth and and um, and a way of them thinking through and practicing what it means to notice and <clears throat> be on the land to gather materials, to create something, um, to explain it, to deconstruct it so they don't leave an impact. Um, yep. Yeah, so it's, um, it's really developing a land practice that starts with listening and being really aware of where you are. So mm -hmm. inspiring. I love hearing that. Growing up as a kid, I spent a lot of time brownies, girl guides, like camping, but, you know, learning about the land, but not from an indigenous perspective, right? So I think that that's so important too, to, you know, go back to those original uh, caregivers of the land and really understand, you know, just naming different uses of plants, um, you know, how they would use this waterway or estuary, like just being really conscious of that. Well, it's amazing. Um, this is the fourth year that the school has been on this um, this land-based learning journey, and the the you can just see it in the way the students behave towards each other and towards the land, and they um, they acknowledge the berries that are there, and they um, also have are building relationships with the animals um, too. So just understanding the um, that the place is not to consume, right. but it's to um, enjoy and also give back, right, mm -hmm. and take care of. Yeah, and generate, right? And like, yeah. how can we serve back to the land, not just yeah, yeah. Take, take what and we And that's, that's part of that land art is a way of giving back and having um, a, a really tangible way to have that conversation of teaching children to, um, to give something back, even if it's a thank you to the earth, just for having the space and the time um, or creating little bits of that land art. And you also work with teachers too. So not just students directly, like the learners, but you also, I mean, well, everyone's a learner, but you work with like the academics and, and the teaching staff to really look at how they can be cultivating these type of practices in their academic programs. Mm -hmm. And um, I think to do that, then there's the two angles because you're working directly with the children and then you're also um, working alongside the teachers to um, listen to them about where the possible road bumps and barriers might be right. and also how to provide the space um, and prompts and experiences. So part of working with the teachers is to give them the very same ex um, experiences that the children have 
mm-hmm. uh, so they can um, take off their teacher hat and be learners themselves and then right. build that muscle memory so that they um, have that um, to draw upon so that they can um, deepen those experiences for students themselves. Yeah, I love that because it's almost like you're approaching it from an emotional connection point first and then going into the logistics about like, what would this look like to, you know, adjust or augment your curriculum to bring in more of this awareness? Yeah, and I think part of the uh, reason why to connect on that emotional basis is because um, as educators, there are so many things that we're accountable for in terms of curriculum and um, mandates and that sort of thing, but um when you can appeal through the heart and the emotions um, to something that really ultimately does answer all of those um, other um, issues and and things that we have to do as teachers um, and teaching the programs of study and um, um, but all of this answers that in such a big broad way that reaches beyond the parameters that we have in education. Love it. And so you're here today, too, to share your three uniques. I know some of them are obviously going to already overlap with things that you've already talked about, which is kind of how three uniques work. But I'm still excited to hear what they are. And I know our listeners are, too. Okay, so um, I'll start by saying this has been such an exercise to to narrow it down to, (laughs) I'll say, to three. Um, I'm sure you have have 20 or 40 or 50 unique things about you. Well, and I think think everybody does, and so it's quite an exercise, yeah, to go through that and and think. But um, but here is what I've come up with. Uh, Yes, there's overlap, and then we can just generate the conversation from there. But um, I'm a visionary who leads with my heart. Mm -hmm. and I'm a creative being, and I lean into ambiguity. Love it. And knowing you, yeah, I can see all of it. But this for for the listener, like if you're watching this on on video, you're gonna see it. But I, like I just feel like goosebumps because I know Stephanie. So it's just like yeah, those are so aligned to how I know you like to show up in the world. So that's amazing. So the visionary, say it again, visionary that leads with heart. Heart. Yeah. yeah. So how does that show up? Why is that like even the first unique that you want to talk about? Yeah. So, I I think. I, and I, I don't even know when this, when exactly this started and, and, and how it became a part of me, but I have a vision of um, education mm-hmm. and I think also the world in terms of reconciliation, but um, I have, I have this vision of how things could be different. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's too idealistic and, um, and woo-woo, but I think it's different from, uh, well, I know it's different from mainstream. So I have, this, I have this vision and I tend to be able to work towards it um, and, and lead or draw people in um, on this journey. So, um, and then leading with heart, um, I find that um, I practice gratitude and I listen. Mm-hmm. And in those ways, and I show up with my full heart on my sleeve, and uh, I can't hide that piece of me. And so I'm really passionate about what I do, and I think that's the way I, um, I draw people in. But yeah, I have this vision of how we can reconcile with each other and with the earth, and, um, and through that, how we can reimagine education. I love that because I think that whether it's through the path of your academic studies and the work that you're doing around your PhD and... Um, you know, getting ready to present and um, 
it's also the conversations that we've been having about how this interweaves into other areas of your life and how this expands in to your career, into your relationships with your family, um, your friends, your community. Um, so I can definitely see how that inter interweaves. And for the listener, they're like, well, why does that, why, why, why do you see that? And it's like, well, Stephanie and I have gotten to know each other over the last like six, seven months. But I think, um, yeah, I mean, we've also talked about how this plays out into not just the academic world, right? But you can also see this going into corporate practices, right? Into, uh, into business, um, environments. And so, how do you see, like, like when you think about your vision with heart, how do you see that playing out in in those realms that, like, of possibility for yourself? Yeah, and and that's something I I feel like that plays always in the kind of in the background and sometimes foreground of my mind. But um, I really see it that um, we are we're living out um, a colonial system basically, in every aspect of society in our Western world. And so part of this vision is centering uh, indigeneity and Indigenous ways of knowing, being, and doing. Um, and and to, to do that across all sectors requires looking at things differently. And it also requires um, coming into a journey with your full heart, which is my, so I can see this way of reconciling with a path forward together and I can see that it requires a different yeah this different way of being together mm -hmm. um, and so when I look at um, leaders in corporations I look at um, people in my personal circle and then in my wider professional or collaborative networks right um, there's just these conversations about how um, you know, you can almost break it down. It's not simple, but if you break it down to um, listen and be ready to listen mm -hmm. and um, and noticing and also a connection with the land, no matter what sector you're in, no matter what you do, be really aware of where you are and the people who um, <clears throat> who were first here and, and what, the, what cultures and um, gifts they have to offer and teachings. And so this readiness to listen um, is how and how I think we can come together. But I do see this across all sectors. So as much as I'm playing it out in education, I also, um, part of my degree is anthropology as well. Mm -hmm. um, and looking at this, um, looking at cultures and really studying these roots of um, nationalism and colonialism and then to understand that and then understand this forward vision and then understand here we are at this point right now and how can we come together to listen um, and understand this land and teach each other and you know so yeah goes across goes across all sectors um, and then in terms of the leadership I think um, it requires a different type of leader to lead that work because we can't be thinking hierarchically and we can't be um, yeah, we can't be thinking, um, I need to get from A to B and this is how we're going to do it and we have this timeline, you know, so it understands um, bending time a little bit, it understands different forms of communication and um, how to bring um, people around the table all together, whoever needs to be there right from the very first meeting, not drawing people in as an afterthought, so that sort of piece of bringing people together. I love that um, businesses will have folks like yourself that will advocate and help them show the way because I think that like you said like hierarchical structures or colonial structures that a lot of businesses are based off of and in all fairness 
they don't know that they're necessarily based off of those things, right? It's just, it's this generational patterning um, that we've just by default go into. When I consult with a lot of CEOs and they're like expanding their businesses and they're like, Brenda, well, how should I, you know, structure my team? Should I have like finance, marketing, HR? Like they just follow whatever they've learned from previous organizations they've been at. And so we just by default go into that path. Like now you're coming into the space going, hey, let's let's interrupt this pattern. And I've got a vision and we can do it from a softness, like the heart piece, right? Because again, sometimes people will get their backs up going, hey, I want to I want to do this. I want to reckon, recognize that we need to be doing more, but it's going to take a lot of work, Stephanie. So the fact that you're there to also paint that vision and hold that space. Yeah, and I want to mention too that because um, for me, and I didn't give this proper introduction of myself right at the beginning, but of Scottish and English ancestry um, and growing up on the unceded lands of the Coast Salish people and now living in Blackfoot territory, I would never, you know, I'm not making any assumptions in any way, but what I have learned on this Blackfoot learning journey is um, to, to approach approach all of these conversations with a humility and a willingness to learn and to listen. Um, and so, yeah, it's not coming in with assumptions and saying this, we're going to change it and this is the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a really gentle um, way of being. And then I, I really look to that, those roots in anthropology for me to understand kind of both sides. Like I have that, that this indigenous learning journey, but I also have, um, yeah, that understanding of these colonial roots so that I can recognize the systems at play and then be able to find the openings of where we can have the conversation. I love that distinction. Thank you. Hi, friends. It's Brenda here. I hope you're enjoying our podcast guest today on the Three Uniques podcast. I wanted to interrupt the interview for a couple seconds to let you know about Aligned AF. Aligned AF is my 12-month coaching experience for leaders and entrepreneurs up to big goals in their life ready to step into their three uniques and fully aligning their life to their purpose. Imagine yourself living an intentional values-driven life that aligns all domains, professional, personal, health, wealth, and community impact. You're generating a six-figure and a multi-six-figure business within your first year. You're learning to love every failure and approaching new goals with possibility, energy, and love. You're unlocking your potential and overcoming your limiting beliefs in a short period of time. And you're shifting yourself from looking ahead to looking within to consider your choices, your values, and most of all, your purpose. You're identifying barriers, examining their origins, and recognizing and celebrating the range of unique skills and experiences you possess to propel you forward. You're building healthy relationships and routines, setting boundaries around the things, people, ideas that drain you without feeling guilty. If you're interested in learning more about Aligned AF, my 12-month coaching experience for leaders and entrepreneurs, check out 3uniques.com for more details on the Aligned AF coaching experience or other coaching experiences and working with me. Take care, everyone, and now back to our guest. And your second unique... I'm a creative being <laughs> and that goes everywhere all through my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's like, what's been your, like, I guess, influence around creativity? Has there been someone or something that's really, you know, attracted you or drawn you into that space or drawn it out of you, I think is a, a better way of sort of saying it. 
Yeah, I think that is a great segue as drawn it out of me. So I think it's always been in the way I've always been a dreamer. Um, <laughs> I've always, um, I would never consider myself an artist in any way, not a visual artist, you know, that sort of thing. Any any finished product I, um, I make, I have to say I'm not happy with it, but I'm all about the process <laughs> and the learning. And, and so where this journey kind of began for me was 10 years ago, um, I started my master's, interdisciplinary master's in education at U of C. Um, and it was a creativity in educational practice program and um, taught by an artist and educator. So um, his, um, Dr. Robert Kelly, his vision was um, that we are all creative, but that there is a creative process mm -hmm. um, that takes learning and practice. But, but with an understanding of this creative process, you can go across um, sectors and it moves into a space of entrepreneurship, social innovation, design, um, and all in and through there's a currency and a language and a way of being with mindsets. And so um, as part of that was also um, a course on um, creativity and communication. And um, it was taught by a poet, um, the late uh, Carl Lego, who was a poet and scholar at UBC. And he talked a lot about um, living life poetically. And so as a creative being, um, he really encouraged people to, it doesn't matter, say the words you put on a page or like Dr. Kelly would say, it doesn't matter what you create, it matters of how you approach your life and that you live with infinite potential um, and know that if you're living life poetically, that means you're um, living a life of joy and love and you're looking for ways to, um, to create, uh, create joy. So um, part of that then has given me a space to enter into my um, Indigenous learning journey as part of my research mm -hmm. because um, as part of Indigenous education, there's a, a piece of making to show understanding. Right. And so when I'm living life poetically and living as a creative being, that means that I'm writing poetry or sketching or... Um, or just feeling the full experience of being on the land and having this learning. Um, and so I feel like all my senses are tuned into um, to that journey. And then um, it's filtered across into how I parent, um, how I show up as a friend, a daughter, a mother, wife. Um, mm -hmm. I love it. I love how it's interwoven. That's amazing. Yeah. And you're 13 ink. Uh, I lean into ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... <laughs> Oh, a little side um, there. <laughs> yeah, and I find that was that was part of my creative journey was mm -hmm. to figure out that I do lean into ambiguity, and I don't just lean in; I actually seek it and right. teach it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I, with that, so I guess the roots of that, again, I think I've always had it, or I can trace that to my upbringing, in that um, my dad is a retired airline pilot, but we traveled. Um, had lots of great travel experiences, but always um, on standby. And okay. so we would make travel plans, but they were never set. And um, so we just had to live with like, well, we'll get there. It's fine. So, so just so literally like being at the airport and not going, or or bags packed, but then not going. Yeah, both, all of it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting partway through your journey and getting stuck. 
um, and having to pivot and figure things out. So right. lots of problem solving and critical thinking comes into that. And I think trust and, um, and optimism mm-hmm. um, all comes from that. And I attribute that to, um, to my parents and the way that they, um, you know, shared these experiences and the opportunities with us. But it always came with a <laughs> large element of the unknown. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, for me as a designer, uh, I'll say as a researcher too, so that'll bring up two points, but as a designer, when I'm, um, designing school-wide experiences or designing, um, experiences, um, more in the corporate world or, um, or to lead teachers, um, or my students, there's an element of, if I know exactly what the outcome will be, mm-hmm. then that doesn't leave us open to uncover the learning and uncover new possibilities. And so um, in the world of um, creativity and co-design, there are these mindsets of optimism. And also if you understand and live the creative process, then I can trust that um, I don't know how things are gonna work out, but I know that they will. Um, I think it means too that failure to me is not an end stop. It means that simply that you need to rethink and maybe turn, change directions, have more conversations, reach out to more people in my collaborative network. Right. Yeah. So it just all feeds on each other um, to lean into the unknown and it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. And so with that ability to lean into ambiguity means that I need to recognize, be attuned to the people I'm working with and understand um, the signs of when people might be uncomfortable. And then I measure um, how much to scaffold and support them leaning into ambiguity and how much I need to offer support. Um, and so that depends on the person and, and what they need or the group um, right. and what they need. Yeah, but, but these experiences then allow people to get to places that they couldn't, they didn't know that they could get to. Yeah. Um, so for yourself, as far as the ambiguity piece, because I mean, leaning into ambiguity, I mean, it's a point of vulnerability. You're going to unlock some things that maybe, again, depending on how your, your brain, your psyche works, like it's like you're going to unlock some things that maybe you've been putting aside. It's like, I'll get to that when this is all done. How do you reconcile with that? How do you, you know, work through those points of vulnerability? That is a great question. So I think having the tools of um, journaling and reflection Mm -hmm. really helps. Um, I also, um, because I have my, those roots in creativity and design process, then I can always lean back on those um those parameters and and frameworks and lean on that process almost like a parachute right um yeah and so between the reflection um collaborative conversations because a lot of the work that i do i um invite in um people and lean on lean on people vice versa um because i don't i feel like a lot of this work um is is big and can't be done alone so it's the collaborative network and reflective journaling um and then and then drawing back into the um, kind of the principles and frameworks of creativity and design that support me um through all of that amazing 
And it's a little bit exhilarating too, I have to say. (laughs) Like the risk, I didn't, um, I never would have thought that I was a risk taker. I would have thought before this creative journey that I was more risk averse. But I find that I prefer to not know um, where I'm going. I, I, and make no mistake, things are well thought out, um, but in a different way, right? right. Like it's, it's more about the design and how to create the space um, for the unknown to happen. Versus like an, an actual outcome. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, oh, yeah. sorry. I was going to say that I remember the other piece that this leaning into ambiguity in my research is really, really important because um, Indigenous ways of knowing, if I engaged in Indigenous research, um, it would be very Western and colonial of me to say, here's what I'm looking for, here's where I'm going to find it, here are the people I'm interviewing, these are exactly the questions I'm asking, and this is what I think I'm going to hear. Already it feels like very prescribed, right? Yeah. 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 And so then there's this really beautiful overlap into Indigenous ways of knowing where I... um, I know that if I come with my full heart, ready to listen and learn, Mm -hmm. um, then I trust that I'm going to learn exactly what I'm going to learn or the questions and the conversation, um, the way those need to unfold, they will unfold because we've set the space for it and and the way that we come together. Um, So again, I'm completely comfortable not knowing um, how things will end up. I love that um, addition that you just brought in there because so often when we think about workability and a group of people being able to work together to get, you know, to create an outcome, a change, a, a way forward, it's meeting agendas, objectives, outcomes already stated. Like I remember that sort of like methodology shared with me in my early days of like sort of managing people. It's like you need to have an objective and intended outcomes for this meeting. So already you've anchored people's thoughts which can be good sometimes because again, maybe when you're collecting a large group of people, sorry, that's sitting in the background deciding to play with a toy, <laughs> um, is that there's uh, already maybe, you know, when you're bringing together a large group of people, my thought was, um, you know, we don't want to be talking about chocolate ice cream when we're supposed to be talking about making a quilt. And, mm-hmm. but at the same time, so it's good to give people context, but hey, we're going to be open to where this outcome takes us. And I, and I love the fact that you threaded in there, like, from an indigenous way of being like if we want to be more connected to the land if we want to see generational um appreciation for our environment uh mm-hmm. if we always go in there with intended outcomes we might be shutting down yeah and i, I think like going back to like the agenda the meeting agenda and stuff mm-hmm. in the space is um having this openness and coming with heart is different and can create anxiety Mm -hmm. right and so then there's this fine balance of like how much do you you know you do set the context and and you do set how it's going to unfold and um questions to provoke thought you know that sort of thing and then um and then that mindset that whatever happens in the group conversation there's trust in the group that um something will emerge from the group Mm -hmm. given the fact that the conversation has been shaped and is taken care of so it's a taking care of the space and the people in the room and um, and having kind of a macro and micro vision of how to um, guide the group through the conversation. Amazing. So when you're not doing all of this, 
Where can we find you? Because it sounds so fulfilling and so expansive. What else are you like? You know, what's like a a casual day for Stephanie? <laughs> a chill day. <laughs> a chill day for me is um, beautiful walks with my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I head out, I'm in Calgary, so I head out to um, Canmore often. Um, My daughter's a biathlete, so I spend a lot of time in the mountains. So um, walking, spending time with family in the mountains is beautiful. Um, Yeah, time with my dog. Um, Hanging out at home, and I love to cook. I also really love to bring friends together, um, friends and family. So that whole idea of of bringing people together is um, something that's really important to me. So you can either find me outside in nature or, or like cooking, bringing people together. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And Stephen, my last question for you is if I was to give you a billboard and you could put it anywhere uh, in the world and you could put anything on it, what would it say and where would you put it? Hmm. I, th- I think that I would say um, care for each other and our local place so that we can care for the world or care for the earth. Right. One like local place at a time type of thing. Yeah. 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 And coming together. Yeah. Um, and where would you put it? And where would I put it? I feel like... Not that it would be an environmental eyesore either. <laughs> no, but it was like, do I put it in really busy spots that would... Um, <laughs> I, I was thinking, is that a contradiction to put it on like a busy highway so that people can see it and then they might not be in the right frame of mind. But I wonder if it would be a really beautiful thing to put um, near as people are exiting an airport into a new place um you throw or something or yeah like a big big busy airport kennedy or something um chicago i'm even thinking if i can like expand on it like a digital um a digital billboard where it's like you can actually hear birds and like the brook and you can almost feel like you just want to step into it yeah like an invitation (laughs) yeah yeah, because there is something about if you can just have people just pause for a minute, mm-hmm. and I've, I've done this in groups, but when people pause even just for a minute, a short time, and listen uh, to the land around them and the sounds, they feel so connected and realize that they're not connected on a day-to-day. Right. Uh, so I'm going to um, add on, and, and <laughs> we'll add your idea of adding sound. Yeah, your audio. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's now a really big project. Yeah, this is like really big. Um, well, I look forward to you creating your billboard. That'll be exciting. Just tell me where it is and I'll, I'll definitely get it on Instagram and, and, and take a picture of it. I want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your three uniques and telling us more about what you do and how you're contributing to the land. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Brenda. It's been a great conversation. And thanks to all of our listeners for coming in, tuning in weekly, and listening to what Stephanie has to say. Remember, I always say this at the end of my podcast, 7.8 billion people on this planet. We just have to remember that number and get out there and share our three uniques. Somebody needs what you've got. Take care, everyone. Thanks, Stephanie. Thank you. Hi, friends. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's guest on the Three Uniques podcast. Uh, As always, we really appreciate your time and your commitment to listening to our guests every week. And we'd love for you to be able to share this podcast with others and encourage other people to get out there and share their three uniques. 
So please take a few moments to like, share this podcast, leave a review and let us know what you think. And also let us know who you'd like to hear more from, uh, what type of guests you want us to bring on for future podcast interviews. Thanks so much. Remember, get out there and share your three uniques. There's seven and a half billion people on this planet and somebody needs what you've got. Take care, friends.